You're listening to a Chicago Sports Nation production, enhancing your Chicago sports fan experience. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shy Sox Weekly. This is episode number 19. Uh, we've got a little bit of a different setup here today. Uh, we are with Johnny Nani from Sox on 35th. Uh, Shy Sox Janda, John Suarez, is not here this episode. Uh, he's taking the week off. He's got some other things going on. But we are very happy to have Johnny here today. Johnny, how are you? I'm doing good, Tony. Thanks again for having me. Good to be back on. It's, what, my fourth appearance, I think? Uh, you're definitely working on a record here. Yeah, I like it. But uh, how's everything going with you? How's everything over with uh, the guys at Sox on 35th? Uh, pretty good. Um, I've been on um, Sean and Maya in the morning past two Tuesdays. So they like they liked me enough the first time when I was talking about Kopech Day to bring me back. Um, so that was good. I was on there this morning. Um, and then... Uh, other than that, we're just kind of trying to finalize our end of the season plans and stuff. Um, I was up at Shinnicks after the game last Wednesday. We're going to try and get a little uh, end of the season party there, maybe do a round table, kind of like the 108 did at uh, the Ballpark Pub back in June. Um, and then we're still looking at uh, maybe one or two more tailgates. Uh, so that's that's what we're trying to iron out over in Sox on 35th right now. Awesome stuff. So it's been quite an exciting week in White Sox baseball. Uh, last Shy Sox Weekly episode that we recorded uh, came on Kopech Day. Um, and we all know how Kopech Day went. The ballpark was packed. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how many people showed up. Most of White Sox Twitter was there. Uh, unfortunately, as we all know, that that start got shortened by the rain. Uh, Johnny, how did you feel about the hype around the ballpark that day? Oh, it was great. Dude, I was out there like super early. I, uh, I got up probably around a little before five and set up and we set a little like impromptu tailgate. I had a bunch of people stop by from White Sox Twitter. So that was good. Um, but you know, every, everyone's just hyped that it was the, everyone in the crowd, you know, people, uh, crowding around the bullpen during warmups, um, Obviously, when they took the field, and it was sweet that they came out to Thunderstruck. I was glad that happened. Um, yeah, there was there was a bunch of people on Twitter asking for Thunderstruck to be played. Yeah, uh, The White Sox have actually done a pretty good job at monitoring what's going on in White Sox Twitter this year. Yeah. Uh, and actually honoring the requests of what's going on. I thought I, I also think that, that uh, coming out to Thunderstruck really set the mood there. It uh, was pretty awesome to see. Brought me back a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Same here. And then, you know, it kind of reminded me of the hype that Moncada got last year. You know, everybody's, uh, you know, on their feet for the whole at bat, you know, full uh, applause like he had just, you know, walked off the game when he draws a walk in his first at bat. Um, but that was kind of how it was with Kopech when he got to, you know, everyone stood for the whole first batter. And then uh, I think he gave a single in the first batter. But, you know, every time he got two strikes, everyone was, uh, you know, standing up and, cheering pretty loud and I got a video of the first strikeout and there's this guy in front of me probably about a section over but uh it was funny I think uh John uh swore as he uh he like quoted the tweet and he said oh he's like the guy in the red is me because he like stood up and did like the arrow like oh yeah bump, yeah I bump, saw like that. K out yeah so it, I mean that was just great stuff and you know only two innings but four K's uh, worked out a little bit of a jam there. Um, probably some adrenaline pump in there because uh, Sunday looked, you know, pretty damn good as well. Yeah, he so, did. Uh, he did come out and say that he had some nerves. Um, I think. The, oh, who, the, yeah, who wouldn't? The the exact thing. I think he said something about his lips were quivering and he only got an hour yeah. of sleep the night before. I mean, and he also said that he didn't really expect the fanfare that was there. I kind of found that shocking. Uh, <laughs> For as yeah. big a name as he is right now in this rebuild, uh, to hear him kind of be a little bit humble about that is kind of cool too. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, John and I actually got to take the game in together. Um, I know you got to see him there. Uh, he made a stop down by your section. Yep. Uh, but it, it was it, – John cut it kind of close, <laughs> uh, making it to, to the ballpark in time. Uh, it, there were just so many people showing up there. 
Uh, they, I'm pretty sure the gates were full. We got in there early, my wife and I, and uh, we got to witness the the warm up as well. Uh, we made a stop over and visited the guys over in the 108. Uh, Josh Nelson was there. Like I said, it seemed like everybody in White Sox Twitter uh, was showing up to this event. Uh, and even people outside of that. Now, being at the Moncada game and the Kopech game, uh, kind of curious on your take. Which one do you think had more hype building up to it? All right, so I actually wasn't at the Moncada game because I'd gone the night before because um, that was a Dodgers series. I don't know if you remember last year. Mm-hmm. So I went because I want to see Kershaw throw. Um, and so I, I couldn't make it back up for the next day. So just from watching on TV, though, I think probably Kopech. Um, just cause, you know, Moncada, it's like, sure. It's, uh, you know, a lot of hype, number one prospect, all that at the time, but he's only, you know, when you're a position player, it kind of, and he wasn't hidden lead off then. So it kind of dampens it a little bit when you have right. to go through he, cause he didn't have his first at bat till the second inning. So I feel like everyone was really hyped at first. Then it kind of calmed down a little bit. And then when he finally came up, everyone, you know, brought the energy level back up and then it's like, okay, whereas when it's a pitcher, you have something to stand, you know, for the whole half inning, basically. On so, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, I was I was at the at the Makata game. Uh, I I think the crowd may have been a little bit louder when Yon came up to bat. I think there was a little bit of a build there than they were for first pitch for Kopech. Uh mm-hmm. But definitely when he had the first strikeout, um, you could feel the energy more in the stadium. Uh, yeah, than, definitely than the Makata game. Now. Speaking of debuts, and it only took us all of seven minutes within the first ten minutes of the podcast to get to this, <laughs> and you know where exactly where I'm going, uh, Eloy. Now, if we're going to talk about debuts, Ooh. do you think do you think his debut is bigger than Michael Kopech's? Oh man, dude! Honestly, I think it might be. Um, this kid is just—he's a monster at the plate in AAA and everyone knows it, you know, there's been the sure everyone knows about Kopech and, but there's this hype that, and I think there's also a little bit of uh, wanting him to do well since we did, you know, made the deal with the Cubs for him. And obviously he's proved it at AAA and now it's like, he's more than ready. And like, there was that, was that players tribune article that he put out. Um, yep, I think it was, it was on week. there. But yeah. And it was literally called I'm ready. He's been tearing it up since then. I mean, not that he hasn't the whole time, but like his numbers, I'd have to pull him up. But uh, he is, you know, back on his hot streak after that. So I honestly, I think it might be a little more hype just because people want to see this guy hit bombs because home runs are exciting. Well, and he, yeah, in that in that article, he pretty much laid it out there that if he were playing in Chicago right now, he would still be hitting bombs <laughs> he would still be yes. hitting f- over 300 like he he made yeah. it sound as if he is just waiting for the day and he doesn't know why it hasn't come yet um and it's kind of funny because if you're rick Hahn and that article comes out in the players tribune how do you address that and, that, and that's one of the topics that i want to get into today is how do you address a player who's just absolutely destroying the ball in in AAA, destroyed the ball in AA? His track record has been nothing but success at every level of professional baseball. How do you how do you respond to that? How do you not come out there? And I I don't know if it's actually been asked to Rick Hahn because I don't think he's faced the media since that came out. But how do you go about answering that question? Why is Eloy not here yet? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts in his mind about that, you know, obviously, but nothing that he's going to make public. Um, I they're going to stick to the, you know, uh, generic front office answers when they ask him and they're going to, you know, say something about his development or uh, whatever, have, however you want to mask it. They're either waiting for the service time. Or they're just well, they're not going to come out and say they're going to wait for the service time because that yeah you know, yeah I, I know that but you know just like things to mask it like as in oh with the checking the boxes earlier and the force the issue and all that shit that we heard over the past two years. Well, I, I if there's ever somebody who's checked boxes, forced the issue, pushed <laughs> the envelope, done all this stuff, 
And yeah, we we make jokes about it. I, I'm I've been having a lot of fun putting together uh, memes and gifts to all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, it, it's it's really you know made this season fun for me. You know, yeah, I brought the sign that one day, the mm-hmm. Eloy and the check marks. Yep, and the uh, the the Eloy Jimenez and uh, Michael Kopech uh, check in the box. Uh, yep. that, that did very well on Twitter. Um, but uh, if there's ever a guy who's done all of that, it's a guy who's hitting I – don't, I don't have his stats in front of me either. But it's the guy who's hitting over 360 and just hitting baseballs out of the stadium every yeah. other day. Uh, extra base hits almost every single game. I think he was four for four the other day yesterday. Um, I mean, what, le- what what is there left to prove? Um, and I know that we have – if you just scroll through White Sox Twitter, you've got two camps. You've got the camp that says we need to keep him down for service time purposes. And then you have the other camp that says let's get this guy up September 1st. Now, I already have tickets for September 1st because I want a Budweiser onesie. And I wouldn't mind if Eloy comes up on September 1st. But on the same note, I also kind of see where the whole service time thing plays into it. One of the conversations that I was having with a buddy of mine at work today was, and here comes the rain. Um, yeah, I can hear it that. here too. Uh, well, you're not too far from me, so I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah. Uh, if one of the one of the conversations I had with somebody at work today is, when all of these guys are about to get paid, your Moncada, your Eloy, your Copex, it's all going to be around the same time. Yep. Like this is all going to come to a head at one point in time, and we're going to have to make choices: who's going to get paid. Who are we going to get rid of? And while the Sox are going to be in a decent spot payroll-wise, I would think, as long as we don't go and – I mean, let's let's be realistic. Is Bryce Harper going to sign here or Manny Machado? I, I don't know. I don't really think they will. It would be nice to have them. But if you lock one, of the, one or two of these guys up to a long-term deal in a free agent market, it's going to come to a point where almost like one of our other favorite teams, the Blackhawks, if you go and start supplementing this, we're going to – granted, we're not in a salary cap league, but we're playing with Jerry's money. So yeah. there's going to come a point in time where the dollars stop and Rick Hahn has a budget and he needs to be able to maintain it. What I don't want to see happen is a 26, 27-year-old Michael Kopech leaving before he's entering the real prime of his career and the 27, 28-year-old Eloy Jimenez leaving right as he's entering – you know kind of his prime years as well due to money constraints. So having that extra years of control is great, but you also bring up the whole does keeping him down make him, you know, less happy within the organization. I don't know where that medium is. That's Rick Hahn's job to figure out. Yeah. But I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on how you would play that out. So at this point, I'm, I would say I'm kind of leaning towards the, uh, you know, service or the extra year of control um, just because, I mean, I thought he was ready mid-July, even maybe even earlier than that. But um, so just where we are right now, I think uh, um, I, I, I would lean more towards the service time. But, I mean, also I'm not going to be mad if it he comes up in the next few days here for a hyped up series like Boston where they're trying to pack the place. So, I mean, I I don't know. It, it's a tough line to toe there. Um, I I guess, yeah, you can put me in the camp of at this point in time, leaning more towards the extra year because it'll be nice to have that. If we are going to uh, try and sign big name free agents, even if it's not a, or yeah, Machado or Harper. I, one guy that I'd have my on would be, uh, Nolan Arenado, I always like that. I mean, granted, granted, that would be a you know another big contract, probably close to the same level, but still, I just I love the thought of that. If you know something doesn't work out this year uh, in free agency, then he would be next year's uh, off season. So yeah, so we're also in the Nolan Arenado camp uh, over here at Chai Sox Weekly. We've discussed this a little bit on a few different of our episodes. Man, do I want to see him in a White Sox uniform? The one question that I would that I would bring to the table with a Nolan Arenado signing is, what does that say to 
the well, what does that do to the infield picture? Um, we've kind of discussed this before the potential move to uh, to first base for Eloy Jimenez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see the reasons for it, um, but you also are going to have Nick Madrigal, who some people are saying could make it by 2020 uh, to the big leagues, depending on his how his development pans out through next year. You're going to have to do something with Tim Anderson, Yon Mancata, and I've also heard that would be third base would be the spot for Yon. So you bring Arenado in, and now you've got one guy that needs to go. That's probably going to be Tim Anderson, uh, unless he takes an outfield spot in an already crowded outfield place. Uh, again, we're we're going down paths that we don't know are going to happen yet. But yeah, um, I mean, it, although if you do give me the choice of Nolan Arenado or any of those other guys, I'm I'm taking <laughs> Nolan Arenado. Yeah. So that's you know we, we've talked about the the White Sox not ever being able to ink that big like you know X factor free agent. And, um, I mean, at some point you're going to have to do it because sure, all the prospects are promising, but not all of them are going to pan out. You know, you never know. Nick Madrigal could hit a wall when he, you know, gets to double A or something, or, um, you know, even some of these outfield guys, they could, you know, a Mike or Adolfo struggle with injury issues. I really like his bat, but you know, um, there's no, there's no guarantees with these guys that are at single A. Um, right. And the other thing with with some of those guys are too is that those could be used in a trade. Yeah. Um, a lot of these guys have potential uh, to pan out, and while we'd like to see them pan out on the White Sox, people also need to realize that Rick Hahn knows how to pull off a deal. Uh, yep. If you look at his, some most of his track record outside of the James Shields trade, um, yeah, most of the deals that he's made over the past two years have been. Very good. Um, there's, yeah. I don't think he's really missed on anything. Um, although earlier this year, people could have said the Giolito trade, but uh, I don't think we wanted Adam Eaton here to begin with that <laughs> after some of the stuff yeah. that's come out now. But yeah. Rickon knows how to pull off a deal, and I think that a lot of these guys that, that are you know fringe, like your Mike or Adolfos, could end up being – the pieces that are used in a trade deadline deal to go get a maybe a bullpen piece to really lock things down or yeah. something like the Cubs did this year with Daniel Murphy uh, just recently. Uh, we could get, uh, use some of these guys for a rental that's going to put it over the top. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's how some of these guys are going to end up, uh, how that's going to end up, but uh, you know we'll have to wait and see. Uh that being said, a uh, little bit back to Eloy and the whole service time thing, uh, there was actually a Tribune article uh, that came out today uh, where Chris Bryant was commenting on the situation uh, that that Eloy is in currently. And uh, the headline, it is, headline there is, Chris Bryant on Eloy Jimenez, wait to get promoted. There's nothing else that you can do. Uh, and the one, the one part of this article that really jumps out to me is uh, – Bryant, uh, his comment is, he's a stud. I know we got Jose Quintana for him, and Q's been great for us, but the White Sox are certainly going to be the team to compete with over the next couple years. It'll be exciting. Uh, So it's pretty obvious at this point in time how good this team is going to be. And I want to segue that into what's happened over the last week and a half, actually going back to the All-Star break. Yep. Yeah. So obviously we got four series wins in a row with the chance to uh, win a fifth one tomorrow in the rubber match against the Yankees. Um, Carlos Rodon is absolutely shoving um, nine straight quality starts. Carlos Rodon uh, has turned into the fucking ace on this. Staff. Yeah, it's beautiful. He's the guy that you drafted third overall, and you know, I like. I feel like we got some people got a little impatient. I know I did. Got a little impatient. I, I did. And I was... kind of, and he kind of. It was just kind of like, oh, like is this guy going to be injured every year? Because that's you know, injury concerns mm-hmm. big with the pitcher like that. But I mean, no signs of slowing down this year, which is just wonderful to see. Um, but I think that's that's a big part of it because when you have that, you know, certified number one guy, it, it just puts the whole team on another level, and then you, that it can be infectious. You know, you talk about 
how uh, hitting can be contagious. Well, I feel like there's a little bit of pitching can be contagious too. Because look at uh, Giolito and Lopez. Take away one of Lopez's starts last Sunday, I think it was. But besides that, those guys have been stepping it up as of late um, as well. And then obviously we just now we have Kopech. So this, uh, yeah, this all started right around when Kopech was coming up. Well, Carlos Rodon, you can go back a little bit. But a lot of this started to come to fruition around the the promotion. And I would like to think that most of this has to do with the promotion. And I'm sure that the players mm-hmm. on the team kind of knew a few days in advance because that team has started to really click and put it together. But, yeah, Carlos Rodon, he, he flashed this last year uh, before he ended up I – be, I believe they shut him down at the end of the year with some injury concerns. But yeah, he started to, He started to flash this last year. And really started to put things together. I was kind of disappointed that he didn't start the year with the team. It was kind of like you said, that same old, same old feeling with him. Um, But ever since he's come back in, I mean, the ERA just keeps dropping almost every single start. Uh, He's not walking, guys. He's barely giving up any runs. I mean, he's just... He's putting it together, and like you said, that's what you wanted when you drafted him third overall. Now, long term, he fits into this picture. He's only 25 years old, so he yep. fits into this picture. Uh, you want to flip the script a little bit, let's talk about Carson Fulmer. That's a guy that <laughs> that kind of just fell off, and I don't yep. think he's going to fit into the picture long term, but people wanted i i think i saw somewhere on twitter the other day where people were saying that the white Sox don't draft well look at carlos rodon and look at uh carson fulmer and then if you even want to bring it up we could go jake berger uh and i know that's injury concerns but again did did the white Sox draft jake berger to tear his achilles twice this year no um carlos rodon has just gone out and proven uh, he is everything that he was hyped up to be when they drafted him, and it's great to see. Yeah, when so, when someone goes that high at number three, because all right, so Carson Fulmer was. I mean, obviously, we didn't expect this from him uh, when, say, like you know, around draft time, right after we got him. But uh, with Carlos Rodon, we pick a guy that high at number three. You're, I mean, you're expecting like top of the line stuff. Oh, you're yeah. expecting like a consistent, you know. Um, basically what he's doing now, essentially, is what, what you're expecting. And it took a little bit to get to that point. Um, some shoulder issues uh, that kind of delayed that. But I think he's there now. I, this, is, this is no fluke. It's consistent. Um, and and I'm, I'm just – I love watching him pitch. Every well, and day. a lot of this could um, also be attributed to the fact that he was rushed up to the majors. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, his development time – probably would have been especially with some of the injuries that he suffered i mean he he probably could have been called up in maybe early last year if a team mm. wanted to be really conservative with him um yeah at the age of 24 23 24 he could have been called up as a september call up the year before but he was he was into the show real early uh they drafted him he came right out and man if you think about that, if we had this Carlos Rodon with uh, Chris Sale and, and Jose Quintana, that would have been a nice front three, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we all know how that played out. Going back to everything that the uh, the Sox have done over the past few weeks, um, the Yankees series that we're currently in right now, beating the Yankees last night, uh, really handing it to them, uh, there was one name that's kind of jumped out through this series, and that's Adam Engel. Um I am not an Adam Engel fan. I haven't been. But he's been doing everything that he possibly can to prove me wrong that he doesn't belong on this team right now. And I know you frequent a lot of games. How's how's your how's your judgment on what he's done this year and how he's turned it around to kind of become that defensive stud all over again when he really struggled at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, honestly, it's shocking to me. I mean, the defense has always been there. Um, obviously, there were uh, flashes of brilliance last year, and then uh, I started robbing all those home runs back in uh, early August. Um, but just with the bat, I just I, honestly, I'm in shock. I really can't believe I 
was under the I'm a little bit of a pessimist just in general, but I was under the impression that this guy is never going to be able to be a solid hitter at the major league level. No, I didn't and, think he was going to hit his own no, weight. Yeah, I I agree. Um but I mean, I hope he can keep it up. I, I we still got to see this. Like, I think the last month of the season here coming up is going to be huge for Adam Engel and determining part of his future for the White Sox because now he's putting, you know, solid pressure on for making a case for you know on the front office to stay around here and be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because before, like, if you would asked me this, if we're talking back in like end of May, maybe. I would have said, oh, yeah, this guy's gone after the year, you know, maybe after next season. Like, no question about it. Like, we'll have other outfielders ready by then. But, I mean, with the the speed and um, the defense and now paired that with, uh, I mean, he, he's been pretty damn consistent over his past, I think it's 14 games. Oh, yeah. He's – yeah. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to pull up his stats right here, but he's – there was a point in the year where I'm pretty sure I put on Twitter that Adam Engel needs to stop doing anything good so that we can just get rid of him. And I think it's ever since then, I'd have to go back and find when I made that tweet. I think it was about two or three weeks ago. It was right around when he started robbing the home runs in late August. Yeah. But you don't expect a guy like that to really turn it around and, and start hitting as well as playing above average defense after four months of really crappy baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm shocked in shock is the best word that I can use to describe it, but I'm going to take just this stretch a little bit with a grain of salt. Cause I want to see him continue it through the end of the year. And then we'll know if this is something that can be sustained or not. I'm kind of in the camp that he's not going to sustain this level of play um there's going to be some sort of regression somewhere in between the bad adam engel that we don't like and this adam engel that we're seeing every time he plays the yankees um there's there's somewhere in the middle that he he can fall i don't know if that's an everyday major leaguer but he's certainly made a case for me to say that he can stick around at least on the bench because if you look at some of the things he brings to the table, uh, speed, number one, and number two, uh, defensive ability. That's the kind of guy that you want in the ninth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning playing center field uh, yep. when you have an outfield. If you look at some of the outfield prospects that we have right now and, and some of the guys, these are more power hitters, your Daniel Palkas, the uh, even Eloy Jimenez. I could see I could see in late inning games where Eloy Jimenez moves over to first base and you throw Adam Engel out in center field and you move whoever's in center field, whoever that may be at the time, over to left, and just kind of having that extra uh, the the defense of the lockdown defense out there of a guy like Adam Engel. Uh, I think that that's an asset to a team. You see some of these other teams that have you know defensive specialists come in. Uh, in late innings, we haven't really had that uh, over the past few years. And then again, we're not competing in playoff type baseball, but uh, mm-hmm. he he can definitely fill that role. It's it's going to be interesting to see who fills out the bench on the next White Sox competing team. I, <laughs> he, I, Daniel Palka can make a case. Adam Engel can make a case. Carlos, well, uh, Yolmer Sanchez can make a case. I almost went back and called him <laughs> Carlos. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of guys yeah. on this team right now that could fill utility roles on the next competing team. Yeah, uh, you know what the thing with Engel? I was just thinking about this um, when you were saying talking about you know defensive replacement on a uh, competing team. If he keeps up this level of play, and we don't feel like he fits into the long term plan, say he's around for the beginning of next year, maybe we package him with someone else and uh, trade him to a contender. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, we don't know where the White Sox will be next year, but I would guess 2020 is more likely the first real, like, we have feel like we have a chance to make the playoff year. But say we, like, package him, he could net a decent return if he keeps up what he's doing right now. Oh, if he stays at this level and we include him in a package, uh, I could see a National League team who mm-hmm. does need somebody off the bench, maybe due to an injury. Uh, yep. 
you know, uh, a team could crap up and say, hey, I want Adam Engel to come in and just, you know, just for, you know, pinch hit for the pitcher, throw a bunt down in a, in a special situation. Ricky Renteria has taught him how to bunt so well. Um, so yeah. we can, you know, package him up, send him off, and get another lottery ticket piece uh, for our minor league organization. That's not a bad thought. The one thing you did bring up, um, 2020 is more of the year to compete uh, than 2019. And I originally thought that this current team had an outside shot to make the playoffs in, in 2018. I didn't think we would, but I thought we had an outside shot. Uh, I thought that the team that we were bringing into opening day was comparable to what we had at the end of last year. And if you remember the end of last year, mm-hmm. we finished the season around 500. And I figured that if we went around 500 in the first few months of the season, we would have an outside shot at competing for a wild card spot. Obviously, we know that that's not how this went. I kind of think that's where we might be setting ourselves up for for next year. However, I am hesitant to go full in and say, yes, we might be competing next year. Just because we kind of did this last year. We're doing it again now. Uh, what are they? Nineteen and eighteen over their last uh, since the All Star break. What was the? Uh, yep. The yeah, it's nineteen and eighteen after tonight's game. So, so we're above five hundred in the second half of the season. Yep. I don't know if that's fool's gold, or I don't know if that's the team actually starting to put things together and turn it around. Uh, you definitely like to see that most of these wins are coming from, you know, rotational pieces like Rodon, Lopez, Giolito's even really turned it around. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to bite my tongue a little bit because I'm just waiting for the day that uh, the Jordan over there with you guys on th- uh, at Sox on 35th comes at me and says, uh, "Hey, look at Lucas Giolito," because uh, I've run my mouth a little bit on him. <laughs> just waiting for the "I told you so" moment. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the "I told you so" moment, um, yeah. and I know it's coming because uh, uh, we were we were kind of setting up for a, a little bit of a, a, a debate on whether mm-hmm. or not Lucas Giolito fits into the long term. Uh, long-term plans for the rotation and after the last few starts uh, I, I really don't have much ground to stand on uh, although I, I think there might be concerns with him uh, as far as some of the mental makeup stuff and remaining consistent uh, I think yeah. Lucas Giolito when he has his stuff he is really really good when he doesn't have his stuff he is really really bad yeah. In fact, he's we really saw it early in the terrible. Season. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's also he's also a guy that's shown flashes, and for I don't know if this is weird to you, Johnny, for a number one prospect like Moncada, who's taken all this heat through this year, and I'm not saying that Lucas Giolito hasn't taken a lot of heat, but isn't this another guy who was a number one prospect? This is another guy who should be at the top of, you know, if you if you look at, you know, drafting and all this other stuff, like a Rodon, shouldn't he be held to the same standards? Like I'm I'm actually really surprised that people on the internet's haven't gone after Lucas Giolito the same way that they've gone after Yon Mancata. Is it is it the the fact that we only brought uh brought back Moncada and Kopech in the sale deal and sale was a better player than Adam Eaton that, that Lucas Giolito hasn't been under the same kind of spotlight or is a pitcher not as important as a, as a positional player when it comes to playing every day. So we're just not as focused on him. I'm curious uh, to see what you have to say about that. Cause to me, a guy who's underperforming, who's a number one prospect to another guy who's kind of struggled a little bit too, uh, there's there's similarities between the two of them, but we don't seem to associate them. Yeah, so I think part of it's the expectations around each. When uh, Moncada was the number one prospect, not just on the White Sox, in all of baseball uh, last year before he came up, you know that, that just generates a lot of hype because you get the MLB pipeline uh, tweeting about him every other day. You get the official MLB account you know, saying, you know, look forward to the future and this kid's going to be a stud and yada, yada, yada. Um, whereas I feel like there wasn't as much like exposure for Lucas Giolito in that regard. So the expectations of the fans were a little bit, uh, more hyped up, I would say. 
surrounding Moncada, and that's probably why he draws more heat. And then he was also called up earlier. Um, he was earlier than Giolito. So, uh, and then I think also when you made a good point there about the who they were traded for. When you're talking about Chris Sale, you know, it's like that's a Hall of Fame arm, essentially, that you're giving up. So you want to make sure the guys that you get back are the actual top-notch prospects that uh, they were hyped up to be um, for Moncada's case there. And then, but with uh, with the return for Eaton, I feel like people, they felt like it wasn't all dependent on uh Lucas Giolito. It's like, oh, we got, you know, Lopez. He's another quality arm. And then also Dane Dunning. And you're like, see what he did in college and then how he's been doing at double A before his injury earlier this year. Um, I mean, there, there was a little bit more to look forward to. Whereas, I mean, I I know there was with Kopech too, but um, those other guys just seemed a little closer because Rodon and, or excuse me, not Rodon, uh, Lopez and uh, Giolito were called up close to the same time last year so i don't know i feel like it's just uh this is our centerpiece with yohan mancada so then everybody flocks to that so one of the other things that's actually kind of worked out too for us is the secondary pieces in all of these deals um and and you kind of got me thinking a little bit if you look at the chris sale deal michael kopech was the secondary piece Mm -hmm. so far he looks pretty rock solid um the Adam Eaton deal, Reynaldo Lopez or Dane Dunning, you can technically make an argument for either of them, was the secondary piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eli Jimenez deal with Quintana, Dylan Cease was obviously your secondary piece. Yeah. And Dylan Cease, look at what he did this year. Oh, uh, God, I know yeah. the Sox just shut him down, but he has better numbers uh, down in AA than Michael Kopech did. Yeah. Um, not that Eli Jimenez isn't going to pan out. But wouldn't it be kind of funny if all of the secondary pieces and all these major trades hit? Because that does not happen very often, and it looks like it's setting up to. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And then with uh, Boston, too, even the third piece there, Luis Basabi, that kid, I feel like he's uh, he's got a shot to be a you know uh, close to all-star caliber when he's finally up and polished because he's, he's got all the tools. He's fast as all hell. Uh, he's got an unbelievable arm. He showed that off in the Futures game, and he's got some power. Will pop to his bat too. So I feel like that that would be huge if we could hit on all those secondary and even third level guys there on those returns. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there. If we can hit on some of these, you know, secondary guys, uh, not only your Michael Kopech, who I think is already, like I said, pretty much proven uh, that the chances of him working out are, are <laughs> very high. But, uh, yeah, guys like uh, Basabe uh, just adds more fuel to the fire here. Um, and it's it's very evident, as we've always been talking about on this podcast. I'm sure over at Zox on 35th, you guys are preaching the same thing. Uh, this is only going to get better. It's only mm-hmm. up from here. Uh, obviously, there's the chance for for us not to succeed in the rebuild and win a World Series. I mean, that's... With anything else, there's only one team that gets to win. Uh, but there's going to be a sustained period of uh, competition for the White Sox. We are going to be competing for the uh, near foreseeable future. And we touched on it a little bit, uh, but we didn't go very in-depth. Um, the 2019 season, is that going to be a competing year? Uh, or is it more 2020? Is it 2021? Um, as I was talking about a little bit earlier... 2019 could be a surprise year. You, you never know. Um, a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on what Rickon does with the bullpen this year, in this, in mm-hmm. this upcoming offseason. Yeah. Uh, the bullpen isn't in a very good state right now. I know you've got Jace Fry in there. Uh, he looks like he's got some promise. You've got uh, uh, Vieira. And then you've got a few different guys who I think will come up next year, guys like uh, Birdie. Uh, who have a chance to to get called up to the yep. show. Ian um, Hamilton. Ian Hamilton's another one. But these aren't guys that are going to be lockdown relievers. And there's a debate on whether or not we should go out and sign uh, uh, a high-leverage reliever next year. I don't know if that's money well spent, but there's a few different names that are out there in this next coming offseason who mm-hmm. I could see. Uh, but other than that, 
uh, I think your offense is kind of set for next year. Um, you've got Abreu obviously coming back. You've got Avi Garcia who's going to need to play another year here. Uh, Yon is, is kind of locked in there at, at second. Tim Anderson at short. Uh, we'll see what they do with third base. Uh, like I said, maybe that's better addressed in 2019. And you brought up Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Uh, but the outfield is also kind of set-ish at, at this point. I'm sure you're going to see Eloy uh, in an outfield spot, Avi Garcia in an outfield spot, mm-hmm. probably Adam Mingle. Yeah, uh, at this point, yeah. Yep, and then you've got some other guys uh, who can maybe – as Rick Hahn likes to say, uh, check some boxes and, and might make their yeah. way up here. Uh, I'd like to see Ryan Cordell get up here at, at some point, but mm-hmm. that's as the way the team's playing right now, that's not a, that's not a bad offense. And then your rotation is pretty much set in stone. I would think at least, uh, at the front end, uh, it's going to be Michael Kopech. It's going to be Carlos Rodon. It's going to be Lucas Giolito and it's going to be Ronaldo Lopez and we'll see what they do in the next spot. But for the five, for the five spotters, if they sign somebody that could be a three four, uh, you never know who else they're going to see up here. I mean, Spencer Adams might get a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see uh, a, a veteran signing. Uh, you never know, but um, they've got they've got money to spend uh, next year. They've got money to spend the year after, and you could kind of see them start to piece something together if this team could go, like I said, five hundred through the first half of the year like they've done the second half so far uh that kind of puts them in a position to maybe buy a little bit at the deadline i don't think you want to give up prospects early but uh, i'm, I'm kind of curious what your take is on what they can do next year yeah see next year's tough because it, it i think a lot of it depends on um those guys that are gonna be up and when they would be up um, Zach Birdie coming back from uh, Tommy John. We, I mean, they're not going to rush him back from that, but you know he was doing well at AAA before uh, that happened. So he uh, he definitely is one of the next pieces for the bullpen. Whereas uh, where I look back at it, comparing you know like you had talked about an outsider shot um, about this year, you know being sneakily competitive, but that was dampened quickly with just the atrocious state that our bullpen was in at the very beginning of the season. And we didn't do ourselves any favors there. Whereas next year, um, I think that's going to be the same question. Um, you had talked about the offense, basically everything being solidified there. Say an Adam angle continues his, uh, uh, run that he's on right now and, uh, stays consistent in that and the offense looks pretty decent there especially you had an Eloy, another big power bat in the lineup. Um, but the I, I think the biggest thing is the bullpen and if they're going to go out and get someone, which you never know. They could. They, like you said, they got money to throw around, so they could. But I honestly, if I were to make a realistic prediction, I would say not just yet. And when I say not just yet, I mean definitely improved from this year, but I don't think we're on the cusp of those wild card spots just yet that that's just my personal take on it yeah no i would i would kind of tend to agree with that i like to look at things kind of optimistically uh, mm-hmm. especially during the off season and and, and thinking about the future uh, and just with what we've seen over the past few weeks it, it it's very refreshing to be optimistic rather than pessimistic about about the future um one of the things that that also comes to mind here is does everybody continue on the ascension that they've been on does Carlos Rodon continue to dominate does Lucas Giolito continue through the rest of this year into spring training continue to improve does Reynaldo Lopez kind of get those peripherals under control and continue to improve there is chances that some of these guys falter, like we saw this year uh, with the start for Lucas Giolito. We could go back into next year, 2019, and some of these guys may struggle. You might see some sort of little bit of rough patch from Michael Kopech to start next year. Not that you yep. want to see that, but these guys are going to have growing pains. They're going to have struggles. Uh, we've seen it with Mankata this year. A lot of these guys 
are going to be great the first time they've seen an opponent and then the next time through they're going to be fucking terrible. They're going to mm-hmm. they're going to struggle. Um I like to look at Cody Bellinger as kind of an example of the the perfect sophomore slump right now if you want to if you want to yeah. take that as a name. Uh came out slugging and then this year he's been nothing but but crap. So you never know what next year is going to bring. You can't really count on anything, but uh, you just want to you want to make sure that next year is also kind of billed as I think as a developmental year. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot of development that still needs to go on. We like to get overhyped about these guys. We, we obviously we all want the White Sox to win. That's the end goal here. But we get a little overhyped about these guys without thinking about how young they still are and how early they still are in their careers. This is like I always when someone complains about Yohan Moncada's struggles or even Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez earlier this year. I'm like, shit, these guys, this is their first full MLB season. So not only are these guys learning the game more and, you know, adjusting to professional competition, they're also learning how to be professionals themselves. There's still there's a little bit of a uh, factor there that I feel like is just unseen or uh, unnoticed by fan bases, obviously, because, you know, you're not in the clubhouse with these guys. But there's there's adjustment periods to say that. And I feel like there's going to be some more adjustments to be made next year because next year is going to be Michael Kopech's first full season, obviously, Eloy as well. And then say you bring up another guy, like we were talking about in the bullpen, Zach Birdie. That would only be a portion of the season because he's still got some recovery time after his injury. Um, but it, like, it's it's not all going to be there yet, and fans just got to be a little patient with that. They're they're going to show strides. They'll show flashes of brilliance, like we've seen right now, from all yeah, of these guys. They're yeah, showing like showing their flashes right now. Yeah, they're showing what we can have. And when they get to that level of sustaining that, that's when the competing is going to come. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. That's that's the best way you could uh, describe it. But there, there's, I would say, take into consideration the behind the scenes stuff too. That's it, it. It plays more of a factor in a 23 year old kid's mind than you think. So I asked this to John uh, Suarez on on one of our last episodes. And this will be kind of a uh, maybe a repeat for some of our listeners. Do you think this is Ricky Renteria's team long term, Johnny? Uh, is he going to be the guy who's here when we're competing? They're, the White Sox are going to give him a fair shake. That's that's my opinion. They're not going to uh, go and dump him after this year. Certainly not. Um, I wouldn't even say after next season. Um, the there's still a little bit of a culture to be built. I know they're working towards that, and you know I, I like to nag on it too. But a lot of people like to nag on the hustle, you know, like that kind of stuff where he pulls guys if he doesn't think they're running balls out and stuff like that. But there is a part of an adjustment adjustment period for a manager too, where they're still figuring out how they want to build their club and what mentality they want to bestow upon the team. So I think they're at least going to give him a fair shake. And to answer your question about is it his team long-term? I'd say that's still up for debate because there are some logistical things, uh, just in-game management stuff that not everyone agrees with that gets a lot of flack. But uh, they're at least going to let it play out over the next season or two. That That's my take on it. No, I, I, I'm i pretty much right there with you. I'm, I, I can think that back if... Uh... If I remember correctly, uh, John said the exact same thing. Um, there's no reason to go get rid of him after this year. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I am not a huge fan of is his bullpen usage. Yeah, um, and that could be said about a lot of <laughs> major league managers uh, over the course of the past few playoffs. Uh, you look across the other side of town. Uh, I think Joe Mann yep. is one of the worst fucking guys when it comes to managing a bullpen yeah um, last last year and against the dodgers that was pretty terrible yeah so it, it, there's there's precedent set that you can you could maintain a a managerial career without uh managing your bullpen very very well but um the reason i bring that up is is you talk about the development of players 
you also have to look at the development of the coaching staff yep. as well. As, and, and these guys are kind of growing with with the players uh, as, as they grow too. Because I mean, Ricky's only been around a very short period of time, and he's still growing himself, I think, as a manager. There's, there's a bit of a track record behind him. Uh, I think what he did over on the north side was pretty much what he's doing right now. He's he's there in the thick of the the hard times, and and getting him into a team that that's competing, I think, is going to be a growth step for him, um, in his managerial experience in his managerial career. Uh, he's going to need to prove himself in that role as well, and and there mm-hmm. will be other options that are out there. Uh, I, the one thing that I'm surprised with is is people really calling for him to go so early into this, and even though, like you say, with the with the bunting and the hustling and the and the other stuff, he he's really done an okay job. I think this year, if I had to grade him out, he'd probably get a C plus B minus. He hasn't mm-hmm. been amazing, but uh, as far as keeping the team. Together, he he's done that, and and if you look at the White Sox culture this year, and one thing that I don't think we've seen on the South Side of Chicago in in quite a while, is these guys look like they're having some fucking fun. Yeah, they look like they're having fun. Yomer Sanchez pouring Gatorades all over everybody. You've got Daniel Palka just interacting with fans on Twitter. You've got mm-hmm. Tim Anderson out there having a fucking blast. They've got this home run chain. They're passing around. I mean, they're having fun, and and you gotta realize that that that's Ricky allowing these guys to play ball, have fun, and and, and build a culture. Like you said, we need to build this culture. Uh, I think he's done a pretty good job at at doing that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And all that stuff that you mentioned, Timmy just looks. I know he had some struggles last year with his, uh, you know, the passing of his friend. So that was tough on him emotionally, but he looks like he's just every day just out there having fun. He doesn't let you know a good performance, a bad performance, get him overly over the top or uh, down on himself. So that that's great to see. Um, just the you know, like you said, the dugout stuff. Like you know, that stuff's all like fun and games, and it's good for the cameras and stuff. But that that's what helps keep it loose, and that's what's end up. That's what's going to end up having you know creating a successful culture. I mean, you look at, like, the Cubs, you know, people talked about in 2015 when they were just rattling off, you know, runs and walk-offs and all that. And even last year when they went on a tear, or in 2016 when they went on a tear, you know, those guys were just having fun in the dugout. They they looked like they were a team that was loose, um, and they came, but when it came time to game time, they were ready to bear down and play. So uh, I feel like that's what we're working towards here, and you can definitely see... Uh, no, yeah, parts of that can, coming together you and, can, and he, definitely over these past uh four weeks or so here since the all-star break really yep you could see this team starting to build this this culture of uh you know not only interacting with the fans but it, it, the team when you when they do these dugout shots you see this team having fun yeah. And that's that's what you want to see. When I think back to some of the broadcasts that I watched of the team over the past five, six years, and they do a dugout shot, and yeah, after somebody hits a home run, yeah, they're all congratulating them or or whatever. But there was a lot of looking into the dugout and guys just sitting around, you know. Yeah. And now it's completely different. You see these guys interacting with each other. You see them joking around. You see stuff on Twitter, them posting pictures in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. You see them out. Uh, there's the one that, that, that really sticks out. It's uh, Nicky Delmonico going on a streak ever since Carlos Rodon touched his leg at the Shed Aquarium. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen that one? I did, but, yeah. It's pretty funny. Like, these guys are just having fun. They're, they're, they're coming together as a team. And you could throw as much – statistical analysis at anything uh war all these exit velocities all this other shit that hawk harrelson hates and (laughs) there's nothing better than watching a team band together for a common goal and they've got these guys coming up through the minors together they've got these guys already at the major league level building this culture it's a really fun thing to watch and then you've got 
some of these guys taking the extra step and actually interacting with the fan base through social media. And mm-hmm. I think that's a huge development in sports because uh, let's go out and, and talk about another one of our favorite teams, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. And I'm going to actually uh, drop a little bit of information at the end of this podcast about something that Johnny and I have in the works uh, with the Blackhawks. But let's let's take this over to hockey for a second. Through those championships that the Hawks were winning, when they were great, uh, Twitter was around. But did you see Jonathan Taves or even like you know the the role based players interacting with the fans the way that guys like Daniel Polk are or Tim Anderson are right now? Hell no. You didn't see a lot of this interaction um, that's bringing the fans in the way that the Sox are doing it. And this isn't this isn't even the White Sox themselves. These are these guys who care about the fans. And yep. I, I really love the stuff that that Polka has done um, on Twitter to just interact with people. I mean, the guy just gave away a fucking pair of shoes to yeah. people who were doing crazy shit with this whole 108 thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I want to give a shout out to how far the 108 guys have come this year. Uh, they've done a shit ton for, for Shy Sox Weekly. We, we truly appreciate everything that they've done for us. They've come on our podcast uh, numerous times. I know we had one episode where we had them all on. It was an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the culmination of that was actually hearing Jason Benetti the other day make a oh, reference okay. to stopping in the 108 uh, after doing the uh, the pub crawl that they've got going on, and yeah, with that being said too, the Sox have really done a very well job, uh, a very good job of uh, their giveaways this year have been very on point. They've done a lot of good events, uh, yep. like this upcoming pub crawl. Um, a lot of the stuff that they've done is you know very uh, attention grabbing. Uh, you don't see yeah. that in a lot of these other organizations. Uh, going back to the Blackhawks, you don't see stuff like that. Um, granted, they don't need to kind of draw the fans in. I mean, winning sells tickets, but uh, it's been a very good year to be a White Sox fan. Kind of reminiscing back on the year as a whole, uh, this has probably been my favorite year to be a White Sox fan. There's been a lot of stuff that has come out over the past year. Uh, that has been enjoyable from this team, and, and maybe yeah. it's the low expectations. But I mean, you you've got season tickets, Johnny. Have, mm-hmm. Has this year been fun for you more than more yeah. so than in the past? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd say last year and this year because there, I mean, there are flashes last year of you know uh, some moments, but at least we're stringing it together a little more. You know, obviously in this uh, latest stretch run here, and hopefully we can keep it going through uh, the Boston series. So I wanted to bring up when you were talking about all like the giveaways and stuff. So we talk about building a culture with like, you know, Ricky and uh, getting the boys like, you know, just having fun in the clubhouse and all that kind of stuff. The organization is starting to do a good job of bringing that as well, because the giveaway on Thursday is actually a t-shirt of Yomer Sanchez dousing himself in the Gatorade. And it says, keep it fun on it literally says, keep it fun. So it's really good to see, you know, like obviously you said, uh, Polka interacting with fans in the one Oh eight on Twitter all the time. Um, but they're, they're using the tools that they have at their disposal to espouse this uh, sense of we're building something that you want to be a part of for the future here, both the in the dugout, in the clubhouse, on the field, and then also with reaching out to fans through whether it be social media, giveaways, in-game experience, whatever it may be. So it's just definitely one of the funnest seasons that um, I've been able to uh, experience in a while. Well, and it's got to have you excited for the future too. I mean, yeah. and, and that's, and that's what the Sox are trying to sell to everybody right now. And, and I feel like we're, we're kind of acting as a mouthpiece right now for, for what they're trying to do. Uh, but it's, it's absolutely been a breath of fresh air. Um, yep. it's kind of almost alarmingly different from the Robin Ventura era White Sox. Yeah, it definitely is. So, that, I mean that's that's all good stuff. Now I did briefly mention um, one of these one of the things I want to kind of close this out with. We're gonna kind of keep it keep it close to uh, close to an hour here for everybody. Uh, Johnny and I do have a Blackhawks podcast in the works. 
So I had I had hinted on one of the earlier episodes of of the Shy Sox Weekly podcast that we we have something in the works uh, for for Blackhawks coverage, and Johnny has joined uh, Wegren Enterprises, ShySportsNation.com, uh, as a writer for. Uh, Blackhawks Nation. Um, if you're not following Blackhawks Nation on Twitter, uh, you should do so. Uh, we've got some very exciting stuff coming out. Uh, one of those being the podcast. Uh, coming probably sometime in mid-September will be the debut episode of the Four Feathers podcast. We've got uh, Ron Lucy, who's currently covering the Blackhawks on uh, Blackhawks Nation. Uh, myself Johnny and uh, one of Johnny's good buddies, Tyler, uh, going to be debuting the the first Four Feathers podcast, and we're very excited to bring that to you guys. Uh, like I said, sometime in, in mid-September, I would assume, uh, right around the start of all the training camp stuff for the Blackhawks, we're going to be bringing that to you. Um, more details on that to come. Uh, there will probably be a Twitter page for that as well for you guys to follow if you are Hawks fans. Uh, please do give us the follow. Uh, please listen to our, our debut episode, and we will be tweeting out about that from our personal accounts uh, as soon as uh, we have more information on that. Yeah, I can't wait to get that going. That's going to be a lot of fun. I am very excited for that. Uh, Johnny, did you have anything else that you wanted to close out this week in Shy Sacks Weekly with? Uh, just looking up uh, ahead at the remaining schedule. You know, we're closing in on the last month of the season here for the White Sox. Um, we got four game series against Boston here uh, Thursday through Sunday. Um, that's going to be fun to watch. Um, I mean, Kopech, I think he's got to start Friday night. Yeah. Yep. That's what he's doing. As, as long next, as so. as long as our weather holds up here, he should be starting Friday. Yep. Uh, I and did then, see some rain in the forecast for this weekend, so it might get a little bit shaky. But uh, if you did not get the chance to go see Kopech uh, the past week, or you didn't make the trip to Detroit, uh, I highly advise going out there and getting to see him start. Uh, yep. either this start or he might get one more opportunity at home after that. So uh, if you can't make it out to the ballpark tomorrow, plan for the – or on Friday, plan for the next one. Uh, but uh, if if you have nothing going on on Friday night, I highly advise buying tickets. Yep, I'll be there. So follow me on Twitter at Nani Johnny. Um, always free to meet up for the game. I'll probably be camped up in Chai Sox Bar pregame and i'm in the 149 during the games um and then just looking forward to mike trout and the angels coming through uh friday the 7th of september through sunday the 9th um possibly another copex starting there as well um and then obviously we got the cub series uh 21st through 23rd of september and then um that 23rd um, the Sunday game is going to be Hawks last broadcast. So you guys want to tune into that. Um, you know, whether you love him or hate him for his opinions, uh, you can't deny that he is a staple in White Sox history. He is absolutely a staple in White Sox history. Uh, I am a, I am a big Hawk guy. I do love Hawk Harrelson. I am too. Um, I am going to be stapled to the television for that last, for that last broadcast. Um, some of the stuff that they've done with him this year, uh, one of the last little topics I wanted to bring up, uh, has been awesome. If you did not get the chance to watch the Paul Canerco game uh, that he got to broadcast with Paul Canerco, I highly advise you somehow find a way to watch it. Uh, that I was think they have re- really... replays on uh, MLB.com. You can go back and watch old archive games, I think. It was it was it was a really good game. Uh, I didn't get to watch it when it was live, but I did go back and get some of the the highlight clips the day after. Uh, Paul Canerco was an absolute natural in the booth, so that was that was really good to see. Uh, I think he's got a game uh, coming up. Did did AJ Przinsky already do his? No, that's coming up. I think it's this Sunday against uh, Boston. Yep, so uh, I'm, I'm sure that one is going to be an absolute must-watch uh, as well. Uh, we don't like to advocate not going to the ballpark, uh, but if, if, you, if you're if you a big Hawkeye, uh, cherish every last call 
that Hawk gets to do. You don't know how many more times you're going to get to hear he gone or you can put it on the board. So uh, I know I will be glued to the television for, for his remaining games. Uh, but uh, it's a, a great broadcasting career coming to an end. Uh, whether you're happy for him to be leaving or sad to see him go, uh, you know, tune in and either hate him or love him <laughs> for the the few last broadcasts that he that he has. Yep. Um, and then I said one more note. Uh, Socks on thirty fifth note here. Um, be on the lookout on our socials: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are still planning on doing one more tailgate, one last tailgate of the year, um, kind of a fan appreciation thing. And then we're also planning a uh, end-of-the-season party at Chinook's Pub. Um, they've been good to us all year, so I uh, definitely want to bring a nice crowd out there, uh, nice Southside Irish White Sox bar. So um, just be on the lookout for announcements regarding those events. And uh, we definitely want to see a lot of White Sox Twitter out there because whenever we get a nice meetup like we have at tailgates in the past it's always a great time so yep we we will be trying to make that as well over here at uh at chisex weekly i know i will try my best to be there and and john will as well uh just one last uh little thing here from from chisex weekly uh david paulina a uh, little shout out to you you won the the competition uh, I know we've uh, we reached out to you. We actually got to come down and meet you during the Copec game. Uh, David will be hosting uh, an episode of Shy Sox Weekly with John and I uh, over the next few weeks. We're finalizing some details with him. Uh, very excited to have him on. Uh, if you're not following David on Twitter, he is at Funny Guy Day D A E. Um, give him a follow. Uh, and he will be hosting one of these episodes with us before the end of the year. Uh, and that's pretty much all I've got to say today, Johnny. Yep, that's all I got. Um, let's just hope that we can keep this uh, momentum streak that we have rolling through the end of the season. Give some uh, positive thoughts going into the off season. So, Yep, there's not much White Sox baseball left to watch. We've got about a month left. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, you might get to see Eloy. You're going to see some guys get called up. Uh, with the September call-ups coming up here in a few days. Not sure who that's going to be. I haven't really thought about it too much. As I'm looking at the date, it is already the 28th of August. I'm not quite sure where this season went. It's been fun. But uh, until then, go White Sox. Go White Sox.